fault. There it is. It was my fault. It normally is. Just so you know, by the way, almost every time something goes awry in this area, it's typically the speaker's fault and never the text. So if you don't hear me, look at me. Don't look back. They're going to be like, I didn't do anything. So anyway, um, yeah, we are in our new series called Four, and it's it's actually a very appropriate series, not just where we're headed, but even from where we've come out of. We just came out of a series called Out of Focus, and and really, uh, this series as a whole is going to deal with a, another aspect that we can get out of focus with. And that is, again, as I said in our welcome time this morning, oftentimes in our world, we spend a whole lot more time thinking about, arguing about what it is that we're against rather than leaning into and grasping exactly what it is that we are for as disciples of Jesus. And so we're going to look at what it means to be for Jesus, for each other, and for the other. And not only are we going to look at that, uh, there's a very intentional sequence with that. And that's actually what I hope we leave with today, is why we put things in that order. That we are for first and foremost for Jesus, that we are for each other and for the other. And it's not really so much about hierarchy. I mean, it is because we're to worship God and God alone. But it's, it's about the fact that when we are for Jesus, it necessitates that we become for each other and then for other. It's almost as if uh, when we are for Jesus, it's, it's like a cup being filled up and it keeps being filled up and then it pours over. And it fills up others. I've, I've often heard it said, you cannot give what you do not have yourself. We oftentimes uh, come to faith and we want to jump right in. We get on fire. We want to go change the world. We want to go evangelize to our loved one that's not a person of the faith. Or we want to go uh, take care and meet this need over here. And we just want to go do these things. And they're wonderful things to do. And they're faith-based and biblically-based things to want to do. But if we don't have our marching orders, if we are not connected with Jesus, if we are not filled by the Spirit, we will run to those things on empty. And that's why we are going in this sequence as we look at what we are for this morning. And in terms of confession, and I've probably told a story similar to this before, but I'm going to go with a different one this morning. There are certain things that I can get really, really deep into uh, and, and study uh, to the depths and, and take a lot of delight and interest in. Um, I, like to, I like to try to be a thoughtful and deep person. But I will also admit that as someone that tends to live way too much in my own head, I oftentimes will try to combat that by doing things. You know, like as an example, uh, if I can't get out of my own head, sometimes I will start doing chores around the house. Grass needs to be cut, great, I'll do it. Oh, we need to unload and reload the dishwasher, I'll go do it. I like to be a go, go, go kind of person. And I've not really said this out loud before, but most of the time it's because I don't want to be in my own head in the moment. 
even though that's where I tend to like to be at, which I know doesn't make sense. But just follow me here for a moment. Um, I'm going to give you an example of this that ends up being not great. I'm terrible at playing board games. And I'll tell you why. It's because anytime someone wants to play a board game with me, or anybody, and they're really into the game, what do they want to do? They want to tell you the, what the game is about and what the rules are. Right? It's good to know what the rules of the game are so they can play it. Uh, years ago, uh, Angie and I were at a friend's house and we had some friends gathering and we were playing a game called Settlers of Catan. And by the way, still to this date, that's about as much of that game as I know. It's a pretty in-depth game. There, there's some rules. There's, I mean, there's a whole page of things that you're supposed to read through and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I know. See, so I'm giving myself away here. Here's the deal. If I'm in like a still position, I tend to go into in my own head mode. And I can't get out of it. And so, you know, if I was up doing something, I'd turn my focus on to what it is I'm putting my hands to. But when I'm sitting down to play Settlers of Catan, and the person reading the rules is not doing it with much bombast and thrill, I tend to listen to the narrative in my own head over the rules. And this inevitably creates a problem. Because as we're going along the game, the person that's leading the game assumes that everybody has listened to the rules. Until he finds out that somebody hasn't. Because I'll ask things like, now, now wait a minute, what do, what, do I, what do I do with this card here? Or what do I do with this game piece here? Or is this like Monopoly at all? I don't know. It's nothing like Monopoly. I don't think. I don't know. It might be. I don't really know what the game is, to be honest with you. I made my way through it without knowing what I was doing, and we moved on to something else. Now, the thing is, while that's funny to wrap myself out on this, and I, I do, I will try, if I ever play a board game with you, I'll try to do better, I promise. But the reason I wrap myself out is, is that the real reason that I get stuck in my own head is because if I'm being honest, sometimes the narrative going on in my own head feels more important than what somebody else is saying to me in the moment. And even when I get into to-do mode, I can fall into that trap because the things that I'm doing can become more important to me than the people around me that are trying to speak up to me, that are trying to tell me what's going on in their life, trying to map things out. You have no, many, no idea how many times Angie has called me out rightfully because she was telling me something and I was too focused on doing the chore I was doing and I didn't hear any of it. Or even worse, I did hear it, and like a week later, I'll say, hey, I have this bright idea, and then I'll say this thing that was my bright idea, and she'll say, well, I told you that a week ago. You clearly heard it, but you didn't really hear it, because you would have responded to it then instead of you thinking it was a bright idea. And worse off than that, you know, I have a three-year-old that really, really wants me to play his weird variation of hide-and-seek. And sometimes he's pulling on my leg and saying, no, Daddy, come upstairs, come upstairs. And I'll be like, well, you've got to wait a moment because I've got to finish this thing. Which I realize is why uh, 
he does the same thing to me and he says, well, you got to wait a minute when I try to get him to do a thing that I need him to do. Yes, he learned it from me. He's learning. Great. See, too often, I know I, and maybe you can relate to this, can, can get into a mode where our own ideas, our own initiatives, our own agendas, our own actions, even those that we think are the right initiatives, agendas, and actions, become the most primary thing about our lives. And that's problematic if we're disciples of Jesus. Because my ideas, my initiatives, and my agenda is not in first place when it comes to God. There's only one. And that's why we're starting with for Jesus today. Because even if you've been a churchgoer a long time, even if you've been a disciple of Jesus, even if you've read this thing cover to cover over and over and over again, it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking, I've got it all figured out, I've got nothing else to learn, nothing else to hear, I can just go and do So to get us started, I want to, before we get to our main passage this morning, which is going to be in Luke chapter 10, I want us to become reacquainted with a famous parable that Jesus uh, spoke. And I'm just going to read it real quickly. I'm not going to read the explanation part that he gives to his disciples. It's in Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 8, and you can follow along on the screen here or in your Bibles. It says, when a great crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from one city after another, he spoke to them in a parable. A farmer went out to scatter his seed. As he was scattering it, some fell on the path where it was crushed. And the birds in the sky came and ate it. Other seed fell on rock. As it grew, it dried up because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorny plants. The thorns grew with the plants and choked them. Still, other seed landed on good soil. When it grew, it produced 100 times more grain than was scattered. As he said this, he called out, Everyone who has ears should pay attention. Now, Jesus tells this parable, and we often hear about it, and it's often been called the parable of the sower or the parable of the seed, or as I like to think of it, the parable of the soils. Actually, I like to think of it as all three, because there's more to it than just the one aspect that you look at. But what I want us to focus on this morning is the soil part of it. Notice that wherever the sower scatters the seed, it lands on particular paths, particular locations, particular soils, particular ground. Some better than others in order to produce a harvest. And when Jesus tells this story, basically the, the, the first three or so locations that aren't ready for the seed, they don't produce fruit. It's that last, that good soil that produces fruit. And Jesus says it produces more than what was even scattered in the first place. And he concludes, those with ears to hear, listen, or comprehend, or understand. Those who have ears to hear, 
listen. Listen to what? Oh, I get it. Listen to the word, which is the seed that is scattered to the soils. Now this is a really, really, really pivotal teaching of Jesus. Because often in the Gospels, it sets up the way that we read not only the story of Jesus, but the stories of the people around Jesus that interacted with him, that came to him, that chose to follow him. And when we look at their words and actions in response to Jesus, what we are seeing is soil receiving the word and what they do with it. And it's with that backdrop that I want us to look at a story that occurs in Acts, or I mean Acts, that's the other Luke book, sorry. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. It's a story of a woman named Martha. Jesus comes to her home. And there's another woman named Mary there. And I want us to Slow down and, and, and listen to this story. And I hope that as we hear this story and as we contemplate what it is telling us, not only about Jesus but about these two women here, that we might hear it with fresh perspective. I don't know if you've been a churchgoer for a long time, but you've probably, if you have, heard this story before. And oftentimes the story gets told uh, as, as a reason to slow down. You've got hyper-busy Martha running around like a chicken with her head cut off. And you've just got chill Mary listening to the teacher Jesus. And we often tell ourselves, slow down, be like Mary. Except that oftentimes, as I already admitted and as you might admit to yourself, a lot of us hear this story and we say, I'm a lot more like Martha. But there's a deeper point to this story than just slowing down. And so as we read this and unpack it, I hope that you will attune your ear to hearing what's going on. Starting at verse 38, it says, While Jesus and his disciples were traveling, Jesus entered a village where a woman named Martha welcomed him as a guest. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his message. By contrast, Martha was preoccupied with getting everything ready for their meal. So Martha came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to prepare the table all by myself? Tell her to help me. The Lord answered, Martha, Martha, chill. No, he didn't say chill out. You, you are worried and distracted by many things. One thing is necessary. Martha has chosen the better part, and it won't be taken away from her. In the first century, at the time of Jesus and in the place of Jesus, and this still persists over in that space today, there was a high culture of hospitality. And hospitality meant that if you have a guest show up at your home, you had better be ready to prepare food, to offer drink, to offer a place to recline, 
to offer a place to be comfortable. And in this story, even though the Greek manuscripts sometimes uh, mess with us a little bit, the implication here is that Martha's house, it is her house that Jesus has shown up to. And her sister is there. We're not sure if she's just there for the weekend or if they're living there. We don't really know much background because we're not told much background about Martha and Mary here in this moment. But we know that in this situation, we've got Martha at her home and Jesus, the rabbi, has shown up. And that gets Martha thinking into hospitality mode because that's what you did in this culture. We all have things that we do in our culture. And we often don't think about why it is that we do them, but we do them and we go about our lives. And if we don't do those things, then we feel guilty or we might have the stink eye given to us for not doing them. And so for Martha, she is in that mode. Someone important is coming to my house and I've got to make it ready. So she gets up on her feet and she starts getting everything going. But it says she had a sister named Mary. And Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his message. Literally, it says that she sat at his feet and listened to his word. Logos. Which, by the way, if you know your Greek gospel of John, it says in the beginning was the logos, the word. It's not just that Jesus is teaching any old teachings, but they're the teachings of the word. They are the word of the word. Jesus is very, very important, and what he says is important to hear. And to be at the Lord's feet is a posture of a student learning from a teacher. It was common in that world uh, in a setting, a, a teaching setting, where a rabbi would be teaching disciples for the disciples to be uh, either literally, physically, or at least metaphorically at the feet of their teacher. So Mary is taking the posture of a disciple. And she is listening to the word of the rabbi. Now by contrast, Luke tells us, Martha was preoccupied with getting everything ready for their meal. Again, to get Greek geek for you, what it actually says in Greek is that she was both anxious and she was running herself up into a frenzy. She was very, very worried that she wasn't going to get it right and she wasn't going to get it right at the right time. Her guest has arrived, she was unprepared, and she goes into work mode. And so we've got two sisters under the same roof with two totally opposite ends of the spectrum responses to Jesus' arrival. One of them goes into cultural hospitality mode and doing everything, and the other one's just like, hey, the rabbi's here, I'm going to actually listen to what he's got to say. Now, if you were a first century person in the Holy Land and you were 
in this setting, or maybe you are a first century person and you are in a church and you are hearing this story, your immediate reaction would be that Martha is in the right and that Mary is in the wrong. Because that's what you did in this world. You jumped in and you made your home hospitable to your guest. You didn't just chill out and listen to their stories. There'd be time for that later after everything was served and the guest was comfortable. And if you were thinking this, know that you're not alone. Because not only does it say that by contrast, Martha was preoccupied with getting everything ready for their meal, her sensibility of her right and Mary's wrong leads her to go to Jesus and say, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to prepare the table all by myself? You tell her to help me. Which, by the way, should tell us what they think about Jesus. Because in her mind, Jesus has the authority to basically tell anybody to do whatever he wants. And they should listen. Why? Because it's Jesus. She's making a power play. This is like two siblings running to mom or dad and saying, hey, they're not treating me nice. Can you you go and get him in trouble? And so she runs to Jesus, not only expressing what she thinks about Jesus' authority, but also assuming that Jesus will be on her side of this little spat. Why would she assume that? Well, I'll tell you why. Because Jesus is a rabbi. He is an authoritative figure. And this is a cultural norm. It is shared by all people. Even if you go all the way back in the book of Genesis, and you read about Abraham and Sarah, and their visitors that show up to announce that Sarah in her old age is going to become pregnant, What do they do when the visitors arrive? They go hurry to get food and rest ready for their visitors. Why? Because it's hospitality. You make your guests comfortable. This norm existed for a long time. And Martha's assuming that Jesus not only will agree and take her position, but he has the authority to do something about it. And as is often the case with Jesus, if you're a Team Martha person, your world is about to be rocked. (laughs) Because it says the Lord answered Martha, Martha, which by the way, that repetition of her name in the text is to uh, confer Jesus' grace, his, his way of keeping her at ease. He's not mad at her for making this request. He's not even insinuating that she's done something wrong by trying to ready things. It says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. And then he goes on, he says, one thing, one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the better part. Notice not the good part and you've done the wrong thing. 
This is a good and great sort of situation. Mary has chosen the better part. And he basically says, I'm not going to tell her to stop listening to me because this won't be taken from her. Basically, I, I know what you're doing. I know why you're doing it. I know why you think it's important. And I know why you think she should be jumping in to help you. But I'm not going to tell her to do that. Because in the hierarchy of bad, average, good, and great, she's chosen great while you've settled for good. And good is never bad. But in this instance, great is better. And you might be thinking, well, that's not fair. And if you're a first century audience listening to the story, that's not fair. I've always been taught. I've always done it. My family's always done it this way. And Jesus says, yeah, I know. But I'm going to show you a better way. And so the better way, as the story tells us, is that Mary sits at the feet of the rabbi listening to his word. Not getting up and going into action mode, but sitting and listening to the word of Jesus. Now here is the irony of ironies. You see, in this cultural world of hospitality, it is commonplace for you to think hospitality I'm going to go into action mode. I'm going to go get the drinks. I'm going to go make the food. I'm going to go ready the house. And so hospitality becomes about the actions that you take and the product that you put out on the table. But there's something that gets lost in that view of hospitality. And do you know what it is? The guest. See, it can be easy to be hospitable and forget that the guest is there. You're running and doing things. Your guests might not know where they can sit. Maybe they walk in and they've got something really important to share with you. Maybe something happened on the way to their travel. And you're just too busy doing all the things to even stop and listening to what it is that they want to say. Or in the case of Jesus, he's got the word of life to share with you. And the moment you forget that the core importance of hospitality is the guest, your focus gets lost from being on the guest and onto the tasks and the output of the hospitality. See, if you listen to this story and you think in terms of Martha versus Mary, it's easy to hear this story and think Martha is being hospitable and Mary is not. But that's a bad reading of this story. In fact, both of them were being hospitable. And the one that got it more right than the other is not the one that went and did a bunch of stuff, but the one that stopped and listened to the teacher when he showed up. Because Mary did not lose sight of the object of hospitality the guest. The guest had something important to say. And when the guest has something important to say, you stop 
You get at his feet and you listen. Now I read the parable of the sower or seed or soil, whichever you want to call it. And we should just call it all. Let's change all of our headings in our Bible. They're not the inspired part. Someone else put them in there later. And Jesus teaches this story about a farmer sowing seed and scattering it in all of these different locations. And it is only the good soil that receives it and produces fruit. And he concludes, and he says, everyone with ears to hear, listen, understand, comprehend. We don't often think about the fact that sometimes in the receiving of the word, we can be so quick to action that we haven't sat to let the seed enter into the soil. For the sunshine and the water to help it grow, for it to be tilled, so that the process can actually take root and we can actually produce fruit. Because we're just too excited to get on the move. But the problem is, if the word, if the seed never takes root in the soil, do you know what happens? It won't accomplish the goal. Martha chose a good thing by trying to be hospitable to Jesus upon his arrival. But you can't actually carry out what Jesus wants you to carry out in life. You can't actually love each other. You can't actually love the other. You can't actually love your enemies. You can't actually love your community if you don't let Jesus love you first. Because you can't give what you don't have. When I was in a Bible college, I had a professor uh, one time, you know, when you get into Bible college and you get into seminary and all this stuff, it can become, this can become very academic. And that's always a, a worrisome thing, a troublesome thing. Because it can be very easy to become so academic that you lose sight of faith, that you learn sight of the living, uh, that you lose sight of the living out part of understanding your faith and comprehending it. But I remember my professor was, was one time asked by a student, why is it that you, that you read the Bible with such a critical eye? And of course, this student being kind of honorary, because they were kind of an honorary student, they were, they were trying to trick the professor into saying something bad. You know, that always happens in Bible college too. And the professor stopped and he paused. And he said, I think you misunderstand where my critique is coming from and where it's placed. He says, I read with a critical eye not because I'm critical of Scripture. It's because I'm critical of myself. When we talk about the Bible being the inspired word of God, that doesn't mean that our interpretation 
is always infallible. It doesn't mean that we've already got it figured out the one time we read it 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Or that our first little skim session of the story has got it all figured out. Or even, yes, even worse, "Ah, I've sat and listened to a bunch of sermons. I don't even need to read it. But the reason my professor said that was because he knows how important it is that if we are to live out our faith, we have to listen and take the time to slow down and be at the feet of the rabbi so that we can understand, comprehend, and act on what is true rather than what we already think we figured out. To be for Jesus, to be truly hospitable to Jesus when he shows up knocking at your door is to slow down and get at his feet and listen. And not because we want to be lazy, not because we want to get out of doing a good work, because yes, preparing a drink and some food and making the house ready is a good thing. My parents are visiting me next weekend. We're going to get our house ready. My wife has already started. Of course it's good to get your house ready. But if we're going to be for Jesus, and in turn be for each other, and then in turn be for the other outside of these church walls, we must start with Jesus We cannot jump into action without knowing his marching orders. We can't jump into action without knowing what Jesus actually cares about. We can't jump into action assuming we figured it out when we might have actually missed an aspect, a very important aspect of what it is that he has to say. It's kind of like what I was saying about this story. I've heard it preached several times, and almost every time it's all about, this is the reason you should slow down and not be such a busybody all the time. But that's actually not what this story is about. This story is actually a real-life episode of what Jesus said would happen when he taught the parable of the soil and seed and sower. It's a story about the importance of the rabbi, the Lord, the Messiah, coming to share his word with you. And being willing to slow down and listen, not assuming you've got it figured all out, not assuming you already know how to play the game, not assuming that your thoughts are more important than his instructions on how to play the game, but to slow down and listen with intent, with depth, with ears open, ready to catch the word so that we can go live it out. Here's the best way to say it. You cannot be for your community. You cannot be for others. You cannot be for your friends, your family, your fellow churchgoers in the way that God has designed you and wills you to be if you are not first and foremost for Jesus. Because it's his way of love. It's his way of speech. It's his way of action that we are called to embody to the world around us.
And so when he comes knocking, there will be time. There will be time to ready the drinks, the food, the house. There will be time to do the work. But the better place to start is to sit at his feet and listen to the word. That way, you can produce fruit that's beyond measure of the seed that was scattered in the first place. Please pray with me. Dear Lord God, I thank you for uh, being good to us. I thank you for this story of Mary and Martha. I thank you for (laughs) a story of not good versus evil, not right versus wrong, but simply of good versus great. Because actually, God, most of us that are followers of your son Jesus oftentimes don't get tripped up because we want to de- or desire to do what's wrong, but because we desire to do what's right without having the roadmap ready and understood. And so God, as we uh, aim to be for you and for each other and for our community at large, not only this month but beyond, I pray, God, that you will help us this week to take time with you, to slow down, to acquaint ourselves with your word, to be in prayer, and to be inspired by your infallible inspired word that we can live it out in spirit and in truth and in worship in every facet of our lives. Because God, what this world needs is not a bunch of Bible brainiacs and not a bunch of justice seekers. What this world needs is disciples of your son Jesus who aim to learn and to live out his teaching. And so God, I just pray that you will help do that work in us. Whether we are lifelong disciples or whether we haven't entered into following your son Jesus yet. And I pray God that if we are in that side of the equation, that you will stir within us the calling, the the desire, the spirit-led prompt to take that first step of faith, to enter the water of baptism, and to, to just make that move to be for you and everything that you're about. We pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.